Uh, okay, so I want to tell you a story about it today. Uh, so I went in to get my coffee mm-hmm. at Park Avenue, and the first thing I heard when I walked through the door was this group of people hanging out, and they're like, I just can't tell you how awesome it is to know that I'm a part of the few elect people that God chose. No. <laughs> and I'm like, man, my day's off to a killer start. But it reminded me of a story from, like, so coffee shops are really interesting in general because it's, like, where Christians go to evangelize people. Uh-huh. But all they end up doing is hanging out with other Christians. And so I think I've told you this story. I know I've told Dustin this story before. But I went in and there was this group, this guy, these two people. They have the same name, oddly enough. And they were sitting there talking. And this guy comes up and he's like, hey, man, I've noticed you've been hanging out in this coffee shop a lot. Uh, what's your story? And the guy's on church guy. He's like, um, well, I used to be a church planner, but uh, my faith was just like shattered. And so now I don't believe in Jesus anymore. And the guy who was talking to him was like, oh, that's crazy. I'm currently a church planter. And they started talking for a little bit. And I, I turned around. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, I'm just about to start this church. Like, the well had not started yet. <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, I'm about to start this church. And I kid you not, the other six people in this coffee shop turn around. They're like, I'm a church planter. I'm a church planter. I've been a pastor for 30 years. <laughs> and But the craziest thing was, is like everyone ended up leaving this one guy who was the only person there who felt like he didn't know Jesus anymore to be like left by himself. And I was thinking like, as we're going to talk about apologetics today and like world religions and faith and all that kind of stuff, I was like, often, I just think it's so weird. Like we go into these spaces to meet people that aren't churched and coffee shops end up being the places where we just come to like pat each other on the back and hang out with other Christians. And it's like, I have never been in a coffee shop with less than two pastors in it. Oh, for sure. And I think my favorite is one time I was in a coffee shop, but it was like, it was like, like the college ministry had started a coffee shop to like get yeah. people in the door, but the, they were having a very loud conversation that everyone could hear about like physical boundaries with mm. his girlfriend. It's a great place to have. And I was just like, <laughs> like, I was just looking around, like, are we all experiencing this right yeah. now? <laughs> like, yeah. The irony is like the lack of like social boundaries to be like, we're going to have this conversation about our physical boundaries here. Did anyone else chime in and like say, hey, we want to help you like figure this out? No, but the, like the pastor was like just a very loud dude. Okay. Like he was like, hey, man, you know, like I know that you got desires. Like I was like, I'm just trying to write my paper. Like I'm going to go somewhere else. Like, but that is I think that that is <laughs> is an interesting point that I think often we say like, well, we're going to go out into the community. But like. In reality, we just go to, we just go out to the community to do what we were already going to do with each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So I, as you know, my TikTok comments are like the place I go and I'm feeling too good about myself to uh, get knocked down. They're a few brutal. Days. They're brutal. Um, they, <laughs> they're brutal. We'll leave it at that. So someone though, there, there was a conversational thread in there and I wish I, I screenshot, I could have pulled up, but they did start talking about, um, they were talking about like scripture and the inerrancy of things and they were going into it and it went into this interesting conversation, both about what other people believe about things and about how you share that with people. And someone started talking about like apologetics and things like that. And it was interesting for me because, and I don't know how much like growing up reformed, growing up Presbyterian, like yeah. I don't think I had ever even contemplated apologetics. And even, I don't know if I understood what it was mm-hmm. until like, my late twenties and I'm in my early thirties. And so yeah. it's, like, it's not like I have a long lifespan of knowing apologetics. So like, growing for you, like, and you're in a world that's like, and correct me if I'm wrong in any of yeah. things, but it's like, you believe you're chosen by God. 
you believe there are certain people that aren't chosen by God, uh-huh. but you're still called to then go out and evangelize those people that aren't chosen by God, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, choosing the unchosen. And so like how, like what is, I don't, what is your experience with apologetics? Because for me, it's like, it just never was a part of my faith upbringing. Mm, yeah. But it does seem like, I remember my favorite class in college was world religions. And I was like, learned so much about the other religions. And I remember walking out the hallway with one of my friends who's a pastor now. And she was like, man, I just can't believe other people believe that. And I remember walking mm. out and being like, I can't believe other people believe. I was like pumped about it. And they were kind of pissed oh, about it. And like, we had like very different. And because they wanted to go and share the right thing with the people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so interesting that other people have this perspective. Um, mm. So like, what was your, like, what is your experience with it? Yeah. So like, Okay, you brought up two different things. You kind of brought up evangelism and apologetics. And for me, yeah. those were very different. Okay, so they're not tied together. Um, Not really. So, and I thought this was a good thing is, is when I learned apologetics, I was a senior in high school and I had someone in my, I was telling someone at my church, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just, I can win so many arguments now. Like, just okay. like, I'm going to kill it. <laughs> and I remember him saying like, Emily, like, I think that's awesome that you have that new information. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will ever win hearts. Like Mm -hmm. to just be like, you're an idiot, which is, which I think is true. Um, Is that what you say apologetics is? It's like, it's the, it's the craft of winning the argument. Oh, no, that's what my, my competitiveness would define it. I would say like apologetics is the defense of Christian apologetics would be the defense of the Christian faith. So like how, how do we know that what we believe is true? And so basically the class I took senior year, it was basically went through all religions and then it was like, and then we went through apologetics. Like we just talked about all the other worldviews and then we basically had to just like be like, no, 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 no. And then we were like, but ours has zero holes. Like we are killing it. (laughs) Um, I remember it was the next year as my freshman year of college. We had like some options of books we read and I read Holy Envy by Barbara Brown Taylor. Okay. Um, and it's all about how she is an Episcopalian priest. I think they're priests in that. Yeah. And she was asked to teach a world religions class at a college and, and showed them beauty in like each one of them. And so she was like, my faith as a Christian grew when I took aspects of all religions and honored them. Yeah. And I read that my freshman year and was yet like, I listened to it on audiobook and I was yelling in my car. I was so pissed. Like I hated it. Oh, <laughs> I'm so just being honest. Like, yeah. You weren't pissed. Like. But you you were pissed because you're like, this is heresy pissed. Oh, yeah. yeah I okay. gave it a two on Goodreads out of five, <laughs> which is scathing from me. Have okay. you gone back and rated it since or do you still think it's a I'm going to reread it. I'm actually that's one of my rereads this year because I think I will like love it. OK. Um, But I was so I was so annoyed <laughs> because it was like. It went back to like you don't you don't get to like choose or you don't get to take what you want from things. Mm. Um. But all that to say, apologetics, if he, I went to apologetics camp, so yeah, I'm the real deal. <laughs> that sounds like an absolute nightmare. It is so bad. What do you do? Like, um, So you stay in a, a college dorm. Camp? Yeah, it is. And you can't leave, even though it's at Lindenwood. Yeah. So I had my friends like bring it's us It's like food. your salvation. There's <laughs> a scary version of Perseverance of the Saints. Like, yeah. Once saved, always saved. You can't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like. So basically you just, you go to a lecture hall all day and you go to different lectures and then you eat bad food and then you sleep. So you're being taught about a, like, 
it's not like you're working. There, are you workshopping it? Like they have you in rooms, and like, hey, if someone says this, this is the answer you give them. No. Okay. Just just different topics. There was like a death penalty class, which was interesting, and I whatever. And like, <laughs> sounds like the world's most intense. Like, this is like high schoolers college it was it was going into college so it was like how can you stand against a secular university yeah <laughs> who put it on um I don't, is it like denominationally or like it was well, it's called faith ascent okay i've never heard of that yeah i have a t-shirt so um <laughs> i'll pre-register now. But, <laughs> but i okay but also this go like we're tying it tying it into reform stuff the first thing i add <laughs> I'm a very different person, but I'm being honest about yeah. who I was. Um, I went up to the guy who ran the, the camp and I was like, so like, where do you stand on Calvinism and Arminianism? I was like, because that will decide if I like believe what you say. Yeah. And that sounds, it was funny, but in the moment I wasn't very serious yeah, about it. It was like a very important question to be asking. Where do you stand? Did you trust him? He was a Calvinist, but he was like, he was like, cool. like, he was like, he was a cool I Calvinist. get, I get what other people say, but like Calvinism. And yeah. I was like, all right. Yeah. Cause you were like hardcore Calvinist, right? Like that was your I thing. Had, <laughs> I had a tulip sticker on my computer. Stop. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. So that's. I had another sticker that said rated R for reformed. <laughs> yeah. You really were a nerd. <laughs> um, that's, that's intense. I don't know what to, how to process that. But Me neither. One of them was a gift. <laughs> that's a terrible gift. Uh, so, truth. Like, you yes. you mentioned that Ooh. within there. And, like, that was really interesting. I think I told you, I had a conversation. Like, my conversation's almost exclusively now. And I don't know if this is just a season of where we're at in the church. But I'm having pastors either that I know in person here in St. Mm-hmm. Louis or over email, over TikTok, whatever, reach out. And like, hey, I'm deconstructing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's true anymore. And they're not asking me for answers per se, but they're like, everything I knew to be true has now fallen apart. What do I do next? Mm-hmm. And with like apologetics, and I'm, I guess should show my hand fully, like fully defined black and white truth has never been essential to me. Like I'm, a, mm-hmm. I've always been like, you know, it can be great. Like I've never needed certainty on things. Like I'm a pretty big, why well, I have faith type of person. But for you, like, as you're going through that, like, that's been a big thing for you. It's like, well, if I know this no longer to be definitively true, there's kind of dominoes that fall from that. Like, for you, if the Jenga tower is up there, right, and there's certain Mm -hmm. things that are being pulled away and there's certain things that are left and you're like, well, now this tower is getting more wobbly than it was sturdy. How do you not, like, do apologetics for your faith, but how have you Mm. wrestled with finding what you would still uh, put words in your mouth, but still believe to be true about Jesus when the things that people have told you about religion are no longer, at least from your perception, true. Like, how do you, what are you doing with that right now? So to back it up a little bit, I like, I always felt like certainty was commanded of us. I remember Hmm. I was in sixth grade and maybe it was actually third grade. And I went up to my teacher and I was like, I'm so sorry to ask this. Like, I'm not doubting my faith. I'm just wondering, everyone thinks they're right. How do we know we're right? And I felt horrible for asking that. Because you weren't fully certain in that. You yeah, asking, when I was like yeah. eight, eight or whatever. And I was like, I felt so scared to bring that question up because I was showing my cards and that I didn't have full certainty. Mm. But I thought that that was what faith was. Yeah. I mean, and I, and like, can I say like, I mean, I think of like the Hebrews are like faith is being like certain of things not seen. 
Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, well, crap, like I got to be so totally certain. Yeah. So before you go on, like how were you ever like fully mm. certain? Like how, how much of it was a charade and how much of it was like you, you did feel certain? That's a really good question. Um, it always felt, I would always like felt it really deeply like that. And that felt like certainty to me. And then I think when I learned apologetics, so I always felt like certainty was commanded of me. And then when I learned apologetics that there was a defense, I was like, okay, okay. Like I really can be certain. That was a Mm. time for me where I was like, everyone else are idiots. Like I am killing it. You like, I've gotten all of the things, the rules and the facts to now know why I feel certain of this. Yes, absolutely. Like I was like, okay. And I feel like there's backing to my certainty. Mm. Um, I would say maybe for a little bit then, I felt certain, but there's always that nagging feeling at you. But in a, in a denomination where you have to have certainty, you call that sin. Hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. my God. Sorry. <laughs> I just had a moment. You're like process. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If mm. certainty is required of you, then doubt is sin. Yeah. So you, you equate those two. You say, well, I'm, I'm a sinner. So that's just that. That's just Satan. Or that's just my sinful nature. Yeah. Yeah, you asking questions. So I remember when I was in like Sunday school, we were mm-hmm. in the Lutheran church and my brother asked some question about like heaven and hell, but it was a, a for sure like question that had, there was no certain, like he's questioning certainty, asking a lot of questions and he just got roasted mm-hmm. in this. And it was kind of as, as a kid, like a six, seven year old, whatever, I remember being like, even though at that point, I don't know that I was like, well, things need to be black or white and I'm okay in the gray. I didn't know that as much, but I was like, mm. man, these people really command you to have certainty and know this. And it was definitely seen as a huge no-no to ask questions, especially ones that challenged the status quo and questions that were surrounded by like asking questions in the midst of a bunch of people that don't ask questions is like the least friendly place to ask a question. And I think that's probably why my brother like started his deacon he probably started at age six because it was like well like i thought i was doing the most faithful thing i could was ask a question and i just got roasted for it and and i think the church commands certainty because they need to be validated so Mm. like if i make a purchase that i'm feeling not great about i'm gonna have everyone else buy it and then i'm like so this was a great choice on my part i'm a trendsetter yeah so if you don't feel certain you want it, you want other people to feel certain and that make that affirms you. Yeah, it's like the herd mentality, right? Like you bring people along with you just to help gas you up and be like, I'm actually on the right track here. Absolutely. Hmm. And so, but that like so as I started deconstructing, that value of certainty didn't go away right away. Okay. So like I was always black and white, but felt like I was I was like killing it in the black and white. And then when I started deconstructing, I still wanted to find the black and white, but was really struggling. And I remember the first time I felt like I was willing to question, um, I read Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Have you heard that book? No. Um, and he... This is going to be a common theme. Is you going to say, have you <laughs> read this book? And I'm going to be like, no, nope, I haven't heard it. <laughs> and he said, um, and he was saying like his, he felt like he was allowed to ask questions when he like looked at the God of the Bible. Mm. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm allowed to ask questions. Yeah. And so that was helpful that I felt like I could begin to start wrestling yeah. And ultimately, like my reformed, like growing up reformed gave me the freedom to deconstruct, like mm-hmm. truly, because I was like, if nothing can snatch me out of God's hand, I am welcome to do whatever. And I'm not worried about losing my salvation. Mm-hmm. But 
when you talk about the like Jenga pieces falling is I think I had, I was in denial for a little bit about how many pieces were falling. Like I, there is a certain amount of blocks that you can take out and still fit into your church space that you grew up in. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to take out just what I can. And everyone still thinks everyone still like theologically respects me. Yeah. That's a big like core value for me. Not saying it's good, but like I really long for that. And so, and then I remember I had a pastor say, yeah, Emily, you can rearrange the furniture in your house, but your structure is great. Yeah. And I was like, maybe, maybe there's good things in the structure. I'm feeling frustrated and hurt by the structure. So I'm actually also going to take that down. It, it might rebuild to look similar. Yeah. Absolutely. It might not. But why are you so protective of my freaking structure? Mm. Like, it's hard because when you don't have certainty, everyone gets really tense. Yeah. When they've, when what you were certain of, certain was like what they gave to you. Yeah. So it kind of, I think to them, it can feel like you're throwing away a gift. And then they're like, well, should I be certain? I'm going to fight so hard for this. Yeah. I, I often do wonder how much it is. Insecurity might be the wrong word, but it's like, as you watch, it's the same thing with the, I bought the iPhone or whatever. I want everyone else to have it to know uh-huh. how awesome it is. In the same way, if someone pulls away, it's also pulling away from your certainty mm. or security or whatever and and i do think like people are fine Uh, going back to this jenga analogy right so it's like i think about when you play it people are not tense when you're that you're pulling off the Mm. top like those bottom top three whatever and you're placing them and and i think you're right like i think we're always kind of pulling things away and i think if you pull back and move out of the game analogy i think we don't even know all the times the ones we're pulling out but you watch the mood of the game shift the closer to the more foundational bottom pieces that you get, you start to see people freak out. You see the the thing sway back and forth. And that's what I told my friend that was a pastor. I was like, this was, you've been pulling blocks out of your faith for a long time and rearranging them. And you've probably been okay with it. And maybe even at times ignorant to it, which isn't a bad thing, but you just now finally pulled out a piece that like brought the whole thing down with you. Mm. And it's a hard, challenging place to be. And I know you've talked about this because sometimes when you talk about reconstruction, it feels like you're getting rushed out of deconstruction. But that is like as the pieces fall, they eventually do get put back together. But if you're like my son, you maybe don't want to play Jenga anymore and you build like a little house or you build a different structure. Mm. It doesn't have to look exactly like what it looked like when you built it. And I think that's a little bit where he is. It sounds like I mean, for you, it's like you're in this process. Maybe it didn't all tumble down, but like you're trying to rearrange a little bit. And I wonder though, like how, this is what this guy asked me that I got lunch with. If I no longer know this thing to be true mm-hmm. that I've held on to for a long time, how do I know anything to be true? And so I just wonder from your perspective, because I don't know the deep ins and outs of what has fallen, what hasn't, what you, what is gray, what is black, what is white, what is true, what is false. But for you, like, how do you still find truth in the person and the power of Jesus when some of the things that you've been taught about him and surround him, maybe you no longer hold to be true. Yeah. And I think going back to the Jenga analogy really quick, you're saying eventually they like go back together. I do think it's actually okay to sit in the rubble for a little bit though and be like, I'm just going to re-examine some of these and be like, did I set it up a way that I think would be good for the future? When Um, when ours falls down, I realize that we have Jenga pieces from other Jenga sets (laughs) that don't actually fit. And that's part of the reconstruction too. Get these other ones out of here. (laughs) Please do not serve me. But it's a good question because 
it's what it is is when you when you believe that the Bible is inerrant and you're like my denomination is giving me what truth is, okay, then you don't have to trust yourself at all. Mm-hmm. And so what's hard about reconstructing. So again, if we're going the analogy of like refurnishing our house, part of that's on me. I'm making choices now. And that scares me a ton. Yeah. Um, but something that gave me like, I think freedom is, I heard someone say, I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus in like, that he's like my savior, but I believe Jesus in what he said about the world in a lot of ways. Okay. And I kind of thought that was dope. Like I like, <laughs> I... I liked the freedom to be able to say, I, I belong in the conversation with Jesus's words okay. in my own worldview. And so I think truth hasn't gone away for me, but I think what's, what's changed is because now, now I don't see like, well, it's the Bible and it doesn't matter what Emily thinks because ultimately that's, we're still interpreting the Bible. Um, but now I'm seeing like, okay, well, what does it look like for me and Jesus and scripture and all these things to enter into conversation and wrestle with what is true? And it is a lot grayer. And honestly, I hate that. Like yeah. I, there are days when I just grieve certainty and I'm yeah. so sad and frustrated that I don't, <laughs> that my worldview isn't as easy anymore. Yeah, It is so much easier when I don't have to listen to myself. And I just can think I suck and then just do what someone else tells me that that has no that doesn't make me think at all. Yeah. I yeah. kind of went all over the place. I don't no, know if that answered your question. No, it does. And I think I was just thinking as you were talking, like there's whether you would name this or not, I find a lot of self-awareness in your journey and that you're naming things and mourning the loss of them. And I think that's even mm-hmm. part of it is. I think as we go through any process of losing something, like the actual stages of grief are probably helpful and like mourning the loss of something that you knew to be really true or valuable or important, whatever, is probably an important part of the process. Because like this thing may no longer be helpful for me, but for 20 whatever years it held value for me. Mm -hmm. And to like mourn it and see it for what it was, the good, the bad and the ugly. I think if you can't process with that, it's probably not going to get you to the other side, which I don't know if that's a helpful terminology mm. or not, but it's hard to move through something like Rob Bell has a quote, like, and I'm going to butcher the hell out of it, but essentially like talking about like going through your faith and like you're swimming to this bottomless pit and like you have the option to like swim back up and give up or just keep swimming through to get to the other side. Mm. And oftentimes I feel like we're, it's, you got to keep going down till you can get to the other yeah. side. It's not a turn around and come back to the top of what we once knew. Like there is something waiting for us but it just sometimes feels like we're swimming into the dark abyss that we don't know about but i think if we believe god to be good Mm. there's some promise for us of hope and resurrection on the other side which i do have a question so i can i say something to the last thing you said no yeah (laughs) um i think though it's hard to get to that place of being able to grieve because i think i don't think i'm alone in the fact that i entered deconstruction thinking i would just dabble and then go back yeah. Um, and so you don't think you'll need to grieve anything. You'll be like, I'm just going to see what they're saying. And then yeah. so for my, for my witness to be better. right? Yeah. <laughs> and so then to go like to actually begin to grieve is the first step of acknowledging that this is a process you're really going through and seeing it to the end. I'm, yeah, I think that's really good. There is also like if you're coming from a more reformed or evangelical background, I do think 
it is seen as like you're dipping. It's like you're flirting with the progressives because you want to get to know how to defeat them or whatever that is. Or a lot of people like this guy, that's not the one I was talking about. Like his thing was more like he was hurt. And now it's like, he's on vacation and like light Christianity with us over here. And then it's like, but someday you'll come back to the truth. Uh, which I just think is so, so interesting. But so in the absence of, of definitive black and white, yeah. here's a question I ask myself, and I get asked all the time, Okay, is if all of these other things are up for debate, there's gray, then why on earth does Jesus matter? Like why, why not just find truth somewhere else or find hope or find the words? Of, there's a lot of really good uplifting public speakers, both ancient and present. Mm. And so... If that is true, and we're in a world now where content is everywhere, and so you could find your uplifting message somewhere, like why, from your perspective, I don't think there's a right answer for this, so I'm maybe putting you on the spot, uh, <laughs> and with no notes to go into this, you're like, oh, I didn't know you were going to talk about this. But why does Jesus matter? Like why, in the midst of your deconstruction, if you were going to put some words on it or around it, like for your perspective, why does Jesus matter? Because I think that's an important, like, people look at deconstruction as a process and like, well, they're just throwing Jesus out too, or they're, they're mm. th- like, they're just, they've left faith altogether. But to you, I'd say like, you're a very, from my perspective, person that's still like, eyes are fixed on Jesus, and maybe even more so now as other stuff falls off around mm. it. But what would you say to someone like, as they answer to that question, like, why do you think even in the midst of deconstruction, Jesus matters? Man, I think... I'm going to answer very personally, and then maybe we can zoom out. Sure. Me personally, as I'm deconstructing, I am like stubbornly holding on to what I think. I don't actually want to say stubbornly. I'm I'm fighting mm-hmm. for the good and the beautiful of something that I'm no longer a part of, being like evangelicalism, fundamentalism. I um, there's someone named Joe Lumen. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she she's like <laughs> she goes I need she's to. like. I, I'm still claiming the term Christian mm-hmm. because no one gets to steal that from me. Yeah. Even though I've been, she's been like so hurt by the church and she's like, I may not ever step foot in church again, but you don't get to take that, that title away from me. Mm-hmm. And if, and they, that's not really an answer to your question, but I'll say that's how I went into still pursuing Jesus. Mm. But I think also when I let go of some reformed beliefs that I'm all bad and utterly disgusting and unlovable, Jesus became more beautiful to me. Mm. I'm reading a book by Richard Rohr. And he said that one of the biggest mistakes, <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> he said, one of the biggest mistakes we made in the progression of Christianity is we made Jesus's death, the things that save us in- instead of Jesus's life. Mm. And I was like, dang dude. Yeah. And I think, I'm kind of skirting around your question because to be honest, I don't have a solid answer yeah. and I'm, I'm trying to wait in that and live in that and be yeah. okay in the gray. No, I think it's good. And I think that's an important thing to be honest about too. It's like, because it sounds like, and you said for your person, like they can't take Christianity from me, right? Like no one can take, I'm a follower of Jesus from me. Right. Like, yeah. I think that's still where I hear very firmly that you're at, but I get asked all the time. Like, you know, if you've taken all these other things out, if you believe that women can preach, uh, in scripture. And cle- why does Jesus why did, no, You'd be blown <laughs> away, right? Uh, if you believe like that the Bible says LGBTQ people are included, but I see that it says they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. How can you believe Jesus still matters? 
And it's just such an interesting question for me because I don't see them as mutually exclusive. It's like, if I don't see scripture as 100% literal, how does that mean I don't think Jesus matters? And I do understand the question they're driving at. It's like, well, you don't believe these words in Leviticus, so therefore you must not believe the gospel accounts of Jesus and the, his life, death, resurrection, all that kind of stuff. And I, I understand the connection that they're trying to make. But for me, and to connect to what you said, like I think the life and the actions of Jesus are really, really mm. profound and speak truth. But it's so funny. It's like, well, if you believe God includes LGBTQ people or you believe that women can preach, then somehow I don't believe in sin existing in the world. Mm. And it's like, well, I still believe sin and brokenness exists. And I believe that, to your point, it wasn't just like Jesus was this person that died. And like, there's so much more beauty in his story. But the invitation that he offers us is to say no to sin and brokenness where we find it and like collaborate in that work to like putting the world back together the way that it was intended to be. And for us to see ourselves the way that God was created or God created us to be rather, which is like our baptismal vows that we say at our mm. churches, like we believe that sin and brokenness exist. So there's something threatening to tear us apart from God and one another. We believe that we've been invited to collaborate in putting that work back together with Jesus, not alone on our own. Mm. Uh, and that there's a community that we get to find in doing that, not just with each other, but with God. And I think, and I know I asked you that question. You didn't, you actually never said, Danny, why do you think that? And so I just answered the question. No, I, yeah, no, I love that. <laughs> but I think it's like Jesus matters even more so throughout this process because mm. we're acknowledging, I think, where sin actually exists in the world and not where humans have started to divide people and say that sin exists. And we're like trying to more wholeheartedly cling on to the person of Jesus and be transformed by him rather than, but I think the assumption is we're trying to transform Jesus into our likeness. And I think I see wholeheartedly it's happening the other way around. Yeah. Anne Lamont has a quote and she says, you can be, you can be sure you've made God in your own image when he hates all the same people you do. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good quote. <laughs> Uh, and I think I think there's something of like I think that's why it's uncomfortable. I think that's why a very inclusive Jesus is uncomfortable to people yeah. because he doesn't hate the same yeah. people they do. Yeah, I don't think I've said this here, uh, but I know I said it to someone. On the, I was talking to someone on the phone on my way here, and I was telling them there a few weeks ago that there was a, a lesbian couple sitting next to a guy in a "Make America Great Again" hat at mm -hmm. the church, uh, and. And I thought that was a beautiful picture because nowhere else would they ever sit next to each other and have conversations of faith. And they were yucking it up. It wasn't like they were begrudging, like, oh, man, there's no seats here. Mm -hmm. They were sitting next to each other. They were talking and they were like diving into the questions that we had. And I was like, nowhere else can that happen. But in a place that is <laughs> this is sounds like I'm gassing up our church. But I think like that can't happen unless you've created an ecosystem in yourself and around you that is inviting people to care more about the words and the actions of Jesus than the things that we use to divide ourselves here. And it was, for me, a beautiful picture of heaven to be like, there mm -hmm. are people here that philosophically disagree on some things, but they don't disagree on the fact that Jesus transformed lives and they both had a seat at the table. And I think mm -hmm. that's a beautiful picture of what I think this offers mm -hmm. us. I don't know that we're even talking about apologetics anymore, but I think that that's... I, I actually have a question for you to yeah. like bring it back on. Um, I, so I'll, I don't know if you and I have talked about this. I'm... I'm very willing to say, like, right now, this is what I'm thinking. Like, that's yeah. kind of where my belief system is right now. And I think that's okay. Um, I think that Jesus is a very compelling individual. He always, like, has been. But I think that – I don't think <laughs> – it's just scary to say. 
I don't think he's the only way to salvation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so scared to say that. I feel like I'm going to get zapped. Yeah, but, well, um, you might. <laughs> like, so what does it look like for you in a place that you've never needed black and white? How do you engage other religions? And what is mm. what do you think about all that? Yeah. I, I deeply believe that Jesus, when he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, I think like he means what he says. And I think that that is true. I think Jesus is the way that we find salvation. I do think that God has an amazing way of manifesting himself through the person, the actions, the words of Jesus that we often limit. And I think that there are people of other faiths and religions that can come into contact with Mm. uh, Jesus that would not know they are. Like what the scripture doesn't say is that you have to, I mean, it says you have to call on the name of Jesus, but the name of Jesus like isn't like the way we articulate it has been transliterated to not the way that it would have been in the original language. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we're not even calling on his original name. (laughs) And so this idea that Mm. Jesus can't show up in other places and people call on his name and get to know him and be transformed by him is I think crazy, especially like I'm not evangelizing to the rocks, but somehow the rocks are going to cry out. Right. I'm not evangelizing to the birds in the air, but they somehow know that they're created by God. Right. And so there's Mm -hmm. this amazing opportunity for us to believe God is expansive and inclusive and that Jesus is still the way to find salvation. Mm. But I think we, it's a nervousness thing for us. Like if we say it has to be, it doesn't just have to be through coming to church at the well at 10 a.m. and getting baptized and becoming a member and then inviting all your friends and like doing that. If faith can be found outside of there and Jesus can transform you outside of there, it's really scary because there's a lack of certainty. And as a pastor, I'm like, pushing you outside of my brand or telling you that like you don't have to be a part of our thing and that gets scary but again for me i deeply believe jesus transformed my life like i wouldn't be here in doing what i'm doing and committing my life to if i didn't think jesus mattered and transformed people's lives Mm -hmm. i just think that jesus is so profound and compelling uh so much in fact like that was able to help architect and create a universe right and so to then say that god has to be limited by a book written by a bunch of people is kind of nuts to me. Yeah. So I don't know. I think Jesus deeply matters. Um, I'm not a, uh, a Hindu pastor. I'm not a Muslim pastor. I'm not a Baha'i pastor, right? I be- I'm a Christian pastor, right? Because I believe Jesus matters. Now, I think my job is to invite as many people to find that good news and be transformed by it and let Jesus do the rest of the work to help other people that maybe don't fall into my sphere find because i think it's kind of arrogant for me too to be like i'm going to be the one to save like our church's mission and vision is to invite as many people as possible to experience transformation in jesus and transform 100 percent of our region but i think pull back from that it's always like that's kind of like arrogant to feel like we're going to be the people to do this but i also think it's like we need to have a really big vision to believe that god will do something profound through our community so i don't know i don't know if that answers your question i'm a verbal processor yeah so. i think we both are yeah. um but so that's why I started a podcast. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so that everyone can listen in. But um, I think, yeah, one thing, I don't know if you've heard this um, image before of like when people say, well, all religions are like, we're all feeling a different part of the elephant, but we're blindfolded and we can't see the full picture. Right. But we're all talking about something similar. And then people will say, well, that's very arrogant of you to make that assumption because that means you can see the elephant. Yeah. And I just... <sighs> I've started to say like, no, I think if I can listen to other people, I think I can be like, you're also talking about something that's gray and wrinkly 
and big, we might be all talking about an elephant. And I think there's something to be said about the fact that I think that I think the religion is we are all trying to trace the big questions of the of the world. Yeah. Um, and I like the way that you said it in that, like, Jesus is the way, but that he is not. Would you say like you were trying to say like, he's not limited to Christianity and being the way? Yeah, I think Jesus is the the most in- exclusive and inclusive person because if Je- mm. I think Jesus is the way, and I think Jesus is inclusive enough to find a way to make that route possible. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Mm. Well, with that, so we spent a lot of time talking about a, lot, a myriad of different things, and I want you to have the final word. And so as we sign off and like wrap this up, I don't know, like you've reflected on, I don't know how long we've been talking for, but as long as we've been talking, like we've covered a lot of stuff, like in the midst of our conversation, I think it's helpful, like to send people out with Mm -hmm. a nugget, whether it's something that's like, like been illuminated in your mind or something you're like, Hey, if this is the space you're in, this is something that might be helpful for you. Like, what would you send our people away with? I think I would say like doubt is not sinful and Jesus is not limited in the way that he can be found. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I read a book um, called doubt is divine. Uh, And I think the guy who wrote it, I'm like, not like fully team up. So if you know who wrote it, like I'm not pumping his book. I think he's, everyone's a little bit crazy, but he, his book was interesting. At least the core of it. It was this idea that kind of what you said and what started this whole conversation, like apologetics is based on certainty and it's based on like you trying to disprove everyone Mm -hmm. and being void of doubts. And his argument would be like doubts are something that draws closer to Jesus. And and I think, I, I wish I could remember the guy's name, but he he gave up Jesus for Lent one year. He's like, I'm going to be an atheist for Lent because I think that's like the thing that can actually draw me closest to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think doubt and questions and fears are something that can like draw us actually a little bit closer to Jesus. And I always use the story of like Thomas, right? And all these other people, like their doubts and questions brought them way closer than anyone else in the room experienced. And I think that that's what I would offer anyone listening. It's like, mm. there's actually hopefully and potentially something really holy happening in that. And believing God is big enough because our fear is that God's not big enough for our doubts. So we pretend to be certain or we try to find all the answers, but it's like God is big enough to process those with us and invite us to something pretty cool on the other side. Yeah. I love that. All right. All right. You're in charge. Um, of oh yeah. Um, thanks for listening and embrace the journey. Embrace the journey. Thank you.